1: Bible says if, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. It's just a step of obedience. I found this quote from C.S. Lewis. It says, there would be no sense in saying you trusted Jesus if you would not take his advice. So that's what I'm asking you today. Welcome to The Barnabas
0: Effect with Paul Purvis, senior pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multigenerational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit MissionHill.org. That's MissionHill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis.
1: We've all been driving down the road at different moments in our life, and we've heard that frightening sound, the sound of a siren. When you think perhaps the blue lights are going to follow or maybe the red lights are behind you. It's an ambulance coming your way, and you know you need to pull over. You need to get out of the way so that they can get through, so that they can save lives. That's what an ambulance really is trying to do. But then there are those people in our society that we we call ambulance chasers. An ambulance chaser is not another driver who just follows the ambulance to see how fast they can go. No, an ambulance chaser is the term in our society for that attorney, that lawyer who is looking at other people's problems, an accident that's occurred as an opportunity to maybe make some money. So here's your first lesson today in church. Don't grow up and be an ambulance chaser. But I do want you to do something. I I want you to grow up and become a chariot chaser. And that's what we're going to see today in Acts chapter 8. If you have your copy of God's Word, turn with me to Acts chapter 8. Let me set it up. Let me help you understand How we got to chapter 8 in Acts chapter 1 Jesus is gathered with his disciples There's only about 120 of those who followed Christ after the resurrection even He's told them to gather and study the word and to pray and so they've begun to do that And then as he ascends into heaven, he tells them. Hey, you're gonna have power. I'm sending you power And then you'd be my witnesses. That was their charge So they begin to meet and they begin to pray. And as they begin to pray, God began to move. And the Bible says that the Spirit of God began to fall on them. And an amazing thing happens. Acts chapter 2 says that Peter, yes, that Peter, the one who had denied the Christ, he stood up and he began to preach. And he preached a simple message, probably 10 minutes long. He was telling the story of Jesus. And he pointed people to Jesus. And it says that after Peter preached, 3,000 people responded. You see, every time you hear the message of Jesus Christ, there's going to be a response. You may respond by doing nothing, or you may respond by yielding your life to Him. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, it says, When they had heard this, they were cut to the heart. We call that conviction. The Holy Spirit of God begins to speak to you and challenge you as you hear God's Word and you hear that message of Jesus. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why would he tell them to repent and be baptized? Why, that's the Jesus way. Jesus always challenged us to repent, which was meant to turn, to turn from our life of sin and our life of self-control, and to turn to him, to yield control, to surrender to him. That's the Christ way. The first thing Jesus would suggest that we do after surrendering control to him was to follow his example in water baptism. Now I want to start there because some of you have come into this place today and you didn't consider this as you did your hair and you put your clothes on today, but here's the reality. You're living in disobedience because you've not followed Christ in that first command that he calls every Christ follower to. You've not followed him in the obedience of believer's baptism after that decision to follow him through immersion. You're in a right place today. Because if that's you, we've come prepared. We have shirts that are designed for you in every size. We have shorts you can wear. We even have a place you can change and towels you can dry off with. And at the close of this service, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond in obedience to that which the Holy Spirit of God is calling you to do. And you can join that company of millions of people who since this day in Acts chapter 2 have expressed their faith in Jesus Christ symbolically and obedient through believer's baptism. Now, when that began to take place, the church exploded. All over the world, people began to follow Jesus. And the church was formed. The Bible says that as the church began to gather, that which happens when we come together took place. People begin to realize, wait a second, he's different from me and I don't know if I agree with her. And so in Acts chapter 6, we have a group of Christ followers that aren't getting along. Some of you have been to that church, right? <laughs> Where there's been a division. In this case, it was between the widows. And so that's when the people of God instituted a a thing called deacons, and God told His children, the people of God, to elect deacons so that they could take care of those widows, really so that they could serve the church for the purpose of promoting unity. One of those deacons was a guy named Stephen. It's one of the two biblical people I was named after, Paul and Stephen. And Stephen was one of those deacons who was faithful. He not only served those women, he ended up preaching the gospel. And in Acts chapter 7, it says that while he was preaching the gospel, some did not like what he said. I have to confess, it's a hard but true reality that not everybody likes what the preacher says. Sometimes it's kind of hard to stomach. It's difficult to receive. I just need to remind you that uh, I'm not called to preach or teach based on what you want to hear, though, uh, that I have an authority that's higher than any of us and is, is based on the Word of God. And, and so Stephen really wasn't concerned either, and my namesake, he became the first martyr of the Christian church because he actually lost his life because of his faithfulness to Jesus. I pray that if we ever find ourselves in that kind of situation, I would have that same faithfulness. I pray that for you too. My other namesake, Paul, he's mentioned at the end of chapter 7. We call him Saul at that point, And he's not a good guy. He's causing all kind of pain. And he was the one kind of ordering what took place even in Stephen's life. And we see him mentioned again in Acts 8, chapter 1. Notice what it says. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions in Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So you have this scattering of the church that takes place because of persecution and yet what you're going to see today that the church was actually unstoppable. And the gospel, the message, the good news, as we learned last week, the best news about Jesus, it was unstoppable. You recognize that's our reality, right? Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. You know, as we gather here today, we're in one of two groups. And I'm I'm kind of making it more simple than it is because the reality is all over the world today, there's only two groups. There are those who follow Jesus Christ and those who've not yet followed Jesus Christ. If you follow Jesus Christ, that makes you a part of the family of God. And as part of the family of God, God's desire is that you, even if we're scattered, even if you're persecuted, that you are sharing that good news of Jesus. That's what it says happened in Acts 8, chapter 8, verse 4. It says, and they were scattered, but they went about preaching the word. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's your job, preaching the word. Let me ask you a question followers followers of jesus because that's most of us here we're in a church we've we've come to worship jesus we'd assume most of us are followers of jesus do your neighbors know you're a follower of jesus Do, do your co-workers know you're a follower of jesus your classmates do they know how you feel about jesus We're in this series called Gospel. And Gospel is a word which simply means good news. And the whole thing I want you to understand today is that God wants you to live your life sharing the good news. In fact, I would put it this way. He wants you to love loudly. He he wants you to live led by His Spirit. And He wants you to look for opportunities to share your story wherever you go. Now, there are some of you here because I've prayed for you. You're not in that category. You've not yet begun a relationship with Jesus. I believe that's why he brought you here today. I think that's why you're here. So I want to pause and pray, and I want to ask God to use this time, wherever you are, whichever of those two groups you're in, to speak to us as we hear how the Spirit of God continues to move through that first church. Let's pray. Almighty God, We've gathered in the name of Jesus for one purpose. We want to meet you. We give you worship. And we open our lives. So Lord, it's not just a saying. We need you to teach us. Teach us those things we don't know. We need you to give to us those things that we've not yet obtained and we need you to make us men and women, boys and girls that are usable for your glory. Jesus, transform us into your image. God, may you, may you through your spirit so convict us in these moments together that we realize we want to live the Jesus way. Lord, because we know that when we live the Jesus way, our everyday conversations can turn into gospel opportunities. And we want more and more people to know you. So Holy Spirit, do what you need to do. Convict, comfort, Lord, speak um, through me. Let the words in my mouth, the meditation of my heart, let it be pleasing to you. Um, God, would you save somebody today? That person that's not sure why they're here, or maybe that person that's been very religious, but they've never really trusted you, would you save them today? And God, even as I mentioned a moment ago, that person that came into this room, they hadn't planned on it, but they're living in disobedience because they've not followed you in believer's baptism. May this be the day that that takes place. Most of all, Jesus, may you get glory as we gather here. And we thank you for this. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says the Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to the Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. So we're in Acts chapter 8, but Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is being fulfilled. The gospel was not stopped. It's going forth. It's been to Jerusalem. It's been to Judea. You're going to see it goes to Samaria. In fact, that's what happens in verse 5. It says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and he proclaimed to them the Christ. And that's what we do as Christ followers. That's the Jesus way. As we go where we're going, we make sure other people know about Jesus. Philip. He's another one of those deacons. Those guys are everywhere. There was only seven of them, but boy, were they busy. Remember, this was God's plan. That's why in Acts 6, 3, we have the deacons started. Remember what it says? It says, pick brothers from among you, seven who are of good repute, and they're full of the Spirit, and set them aside to serve the church. Why was this so important? Because the apostles, kind of like the pastors today, they weren't able to do what they were supposed to do because they were trying to settle the dispute from these ladies who were mad at each other. What were the apostles supposed to be doing? They were supposed to be preaching and they were supposed to be spending time in prayer and supposed to be studying the word. That's what Acts 6, 4 says. It says, so that the apostles may be devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word. You see, when you have Acts 6-3, godly and full of the spirit church people serving the church, and you have Acts 6-4, that's pastors who are in prayer and they're preaching the word. Then you get Acts 6-7, which is the word of God continues to increase, and the number of disciples is multitude greatly, multiplying greatly. That's what I desire to see. That, that's why I can't just show up and, and just give you kind of a pep talk. We've got to open God's Word and dig a little deeper and, and, and be discipled and, and evaluate whether or not we're living according to the, the path set forth by Jesus. And so Philip's one of these guys, and, and he's being obedient. So he's one of the first to go to Samaria. Remember Acts 1, eight, Jesus said, You're going to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost." So Philip's in Samaria, and it says when he goes to Samaria and he preaches the Word, verse 8 says, There's much joy in the city. That's what happens when people truly understand the good news. There's joy. Why? Because it's good news. You understand that though your life circumstances may be challenging, there's one that's overcome everything in this world. You know, give you what you need to, to see your way through it. So Philip's just trying to be obedient. He's trying to be a servant of God. And so he interacts during this time in Samaria, and the Bible says he meets this guy named Simon who kind of gets into some trouble. That's an interesting story. You can read that. But I want you to see what takes place in verse 26. Notice what it says. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Acts 1 8 is being fulfilled. He, it, the gospel has been to Jerusalem, it's been to Judea. Philip took it to Samaria, and now God was using him to take it to the uttermost. They're going to the, the northern part of Africa. A desert place, though. Why does it say it's a desert place? I think we need to be reminded that God doesn't always call us to comfort. In fact, that's a lie of what we call the prosperity gospel or a false gospel. That if you just follow Jesus or if you just do this certain list of things, everything's going to be just the way you want it to. That's not true. In fact, as Acts 7 reminds us, sometimes you follow Jesus and it leads you to your death. Sometimes it's a desert place. Sometimes he's calling you to go somewhere that is unknown or unlikely undesirable. And yet you go. And that's what he did. Look at verse 27. And he rose and he went. He didn't argue. He didn't debate. He didn't put conditions on whether or not he would go or how long he had to stay. He went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, let me tell you about this guy. We don't know his name. We know he's a eunuch. If you don't know what a eunuch is, well, Google it after the service. Historians debate whether or not he was actually a physical eunuch or whether that was some African description for the position he held because he was a very important person. Candace that you see there red, is not a proper name. That's the name of the leader. Like you might say king or in Rome, you would say Caesar or in Egypt, you would say Pharaoh. Uh, in Ethiopia, it was Candace. And so far this authority for this leader, he was perhaps the secretary of the treasury. He was a very important person. And we find him as he's coming back from Jerusalem, heading back to Africa, he's coming from Jerusalem where he had gone to worship. Now that's interesting. Why did he go there to worship? Perhaps he was a convert to Judaism. As a eunuch, he would not have been able to go into the temple, but he could have gotten close. He could have paid his respects, if you will. And so we find him here on the road back home. And he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Well, where did he get the scroll? Where did he get the copy of Isaiah? We we don't really know. Some suggest it may have been a souvenir he bought around the temple. And so he was just trying to figure out what this is all about. He was curious and this teaches me something. It teaches me that it's possible to be in the presence of the, of the one who created all that is. It's possible to, to go to a holy place. It's possible to be in church. It's possible to be around religion and still come away longing for more. And I see it all the time. That's what happens if you, you treat these moments as if it's the end all not just a shot in the arm. If you treat the church service as something you've checked off and now you've done your spiritual duty for the week, kind of like a Red Bull drink just to give you energy. No. What he was looking for, he had not found. And religion always leaves you empty like that. You may check off a box, but you will be longing for more as he was. And so in verse 29, the Spirit speaks to Philip again, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. He was to become a chariot chaser. This is the second time the Spirit speaks to Philip, and it's the second time that Philip responds. So it's probably a good place for me to stop and say, how do you hear the Spirit of God? What did we learn in Acts 2? When does a person receive the Spirit of God? It's when you follow Jesus, when you repent of your sins and you follow Jesus, the spirit of God indwells you and he never leaves you. Ephesians tells us that the Holy Spirit seals you until the day of redemption. Let me just remind you of something, child of God. If you were a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to know he doesn't treat your heart like a cheap hotel where he checks in and out. He comes in and he is there to stay. The Spirit of God is with you. So how do I hear the Spirit of God? He speaks to me. He speaks to me through His Word. He speaks to me in prayer. He speaks to me through song. Have you ever found yourself worshiping and and the Spirit of God is speaking to you? I can remember that as a child. Often at the times of invitation, we always have a time of response at the end of the preaching time. And it's an opportunity for you to respond to what the Spirit of God is saying. And sometimes we sing songs that help kind of help us listen. So I can remember as a child singing, wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. And I felt like the Spirit of God was saying, listen. Or maybe I sang that song Billy Graham sang thousands, or hundreds of thousands of times, just as I am, without one plea. The Spirit of God begins to work. Are you listening to the Spirit of God? He, he, he can speak through other people. I was up early this morning just asking God to speak in my life and finished preparing this message. And I had an overwhelming longing just missing my dad. So I went to my closet and when I decided what to wear, I pulled out the one shirt that came from my dad's closet and I'm wearing that today. But then, when I got to church, just before I walked out to preach the first message, my friend Johnny Hunt, my pastor and mentor in my life, he texted me and he said this. He said, Paul, I just feel like I need to tell you this morning that I'm in South Carolina preaching, and everybody I run into tells me how much they love your dad and how much they miss him. What a great man of God. I texted him back. I said, I I think that was a God moment where the Spirit just wanted you to encourage me, and I was listening. Do you listen when the Spirit speaks? So the Spirit says to Philip, I want you to go. And Philip responds and it says he ran to him. That's what it says. Philip ran to him. And he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and he asked him, do you understand what you're reading? Just think about that. He asked him a diagnostic question. Do you understand this? Maybe in your life, you have an opportunity to have conversations with people who do not know Jesus. To get into that conversation, there's usually a question. Maybe you ask, do you believe a person could have a satisfying life? Maybe you ask, if your life ended today, do you know for certain that you'd go to heaven? Maybe you ask, hey, do you understand the things of faith? Sometimes you ask something simple like, are are you a person of faith? Are you a religious person?